The car you drive every day should be fun. But it has to do the boring stuff too, like commute, be affordable, and haul your groceries. You can have both, and we'll help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Last podcast, we had that surprising discussion about driving therapy. Yeah, we and did. A, and an email we from did. a therapist. And since then, there have been multiple emails. So just, I wanted to thank you guys for kind of listening to us discover that and kind of walk through it in real time. The doctor wrote back and we kind of agreed that we're, we're pretty close, actually, in a lot of our thoughts, mm -hmm. which was kind of sure, cool. Sure. Two or three others of you have written back and just appreciated us talking it through. That became a surprising, like, topic podcast. It was very cool. Yeah. No, I, I'm glad we kind of sorted through our thoughts. You and I had prior... We talked about it just before yeah, podcasting just yeah. mm -hmm. to kind of figure out, all right, what are we, how are we going to approach this just to give us a starting point? But you and I kind of riffed on that through the entire podcast. We, yeah, I liked about your stories. Yeah. I liked that you told those stories and, you know, gave it some perspective. And yes, thanks for writing in, Dr. Matt. Again, uh, we really appreciate the perspective. And if you guys have other topics like that, you know, we're interested in discussing them and we want to remain respectful and open to people's opinions totally. and their Absolutely. approaches. And I, I'm glad because we're constantly learning from that, too. For sure. It's kind of sure. nice. Tonight on the podcast, we have a couple car debates and uh, this is actually pre-recorded. I am actually on vacation when you hear this. And well-deserved, may I just say, yeah. everyone, Todd has been editing his pants off yeah, for well. the last, I don't know how the, long. The great thing about editing is you can edit with pants off. That actually does work. It's no one of those, those stay-at-home stay and work things. Yes. But yeah, so I'm actually on vacation and, and Paul has actually gone for work. So both of the podcasts you will hear this week were pre-recorded. But we did want to cover two car debates in each one for this podcast. We have... Uh, Andrew writing to us, and we also have uh, Avi writing to us. Yeah. Two really good questions, kind of uh, real-life uh, questions here, I feel like. This is just, I've got all this stuff going on in life. I want to find something a little bit fun in relation to what I currently have. Those are happening, plus a bunch of Facebook questions, so we will get through this hopefully quickly, but there's a lot. A and very quick note to talk about one of our new sponsors, autotempest.com. You and I are constantly looking for cars. Mm -hmm. The disease is Everybody struck. listening is constantly looking for their possible next new car. So if you enter your search once on autotempest.com, it searches all the top used car sites at once. So it's kind of an easy way to, to make sure you're not going to miss out on yeah. your next car. Yeah, one stop, yeah. Exactly right. That's T-E-M-P-E-S-T. -E -E so like a storm, autotempest.com. The news that mm -hmm. we came across over the weekend was yeah. Richard Hammond. He crashed the Rimac Concept One, mm -hmm. this 1,000 horsepower electric supercar. Yep. If you go to the homepage, the Rimac Automobili, they even have a little link at the very top talking about this accident involving the hill climb and showing pictures of Richard. And uh, we're glad he's all right. First and foremost, we're thankful that he is alive. Despite the joking on uh, everywhere, he's posted videos. Indeed, I am alive. Yeah, he posted, I'm not dead. Yes. Despite that, we're yes. very thankful that he is because that was an ugly, ugly crash. And, yeah, some uh, sort of hill, he hill climb in like Croatia or something. Yeah. But the thing yeah. I think is most shocking about it is the, the after photos where the, the entire oh, yeah. car was essentially ashen. It was just engulfed in flames. He climbs out and the whole car goes up. You just don't see that very often. No, no. Here it is. It's uh, filming in Switzerland uh, on June 5th. So okay, an included was, hill, yeah. hill climb race. It does bring up the question, though. And again, we're thankful Richard's okay. Just seems to be a few bumps and bruises. But He's in got the some case knee of, surgery or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in the case of future crashes, we mm -hmm. know something's going to happen with electric cars in the future. Sure. 
Sure. I hope not, but I've read early on about EMTs and firefighting crews not wanting to approach electric cars that have been involved in very serious crashes mm. because of this, because of a risk actually greater than what they're already dealing with. Not that they're sure. you know dealing with you know minor stuff at this point, but the kind of infernos that this mm -hmm. technology can create does bring up a big question. Well, in the amount of current that exists in an electric mm -hmm. car, you have to have different procedures just for how do I cut into this vehicle? Well, if that's just, it's a hunk of metal, that's one thing. If it's a hunk of metal that has current going through it, it's a very different situation. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. you know, I've heard about, you know, with cars, even as simple as the Prius, there are actual different procedures for approaching that car with the jaws of life than you would for, you know, your other yeah. random car yeah. because of that. So there will have to be, I hate to say it, but there's going to be procedures for specific electric cars. Here's how you get into the, I mean, that, that gets complex, but it is shocking to see this car just completely a pile of ash yeah just uh you know the jokes are coming because i really didn't think it was good looking to begin with so maybe a little heat might have uh re-sculpted things and <laughs> make it look terrible. better but you know the jokes were coming but, but the other part of this that always dawns on me when this happens is what we do as car journalists this this is the problem out there okay it's just there are possibilities for something to go wrong yeah and you don't have mm -hmm. to dig very far so many car journalists we've spoken to have bad wrecks in their past, you know, like seriously bad wrecks. Like I totaled that one-off car. I mean, we knew one yeah. that was a, an Aston Martin oh, that was yeah, that, uh, that was completely balled up. I mean, Gosh. like five minutes after it was delivered at a guy's house, we've heard about uh, recently. Actually, we were, we had a discussion with somebody about an M3, and we were looking for an M3, and they didn't have one in the fleet because it had gone off a cliff in L.A. Ugh. Now the journalist had gotten out. But the car was at the bottom of a ravine. Now, you know, these don't get reported all the time, but a lot of automotive journalists have got this story of, I'm a good driver. I've had driver training. I've driven a lot of things. And for whatever reason, it went wrong just now. And the car is totaled. And mm -hmm. those guys' con careers continue. But it's, you know, it's just, it's the accident reality. And that's, that's freaky. It is. I, I think uh, you're right, despite the fact that many automotive journalists, including us, have had a lot of driver training and a lot of driving behind the wheel time. Some have not, but I'm some talking guys not. with a lot of training that have still had yes. issues. And there's some that are former pro racers and they're hot shoes. But that doesn't that doesn't negate the adrenaline and excitement of getting in a brand new car and just not waiting to get accustomed to it. You're so ready for it, and you've read all about it, and you know all about it, and you've just sat through the press briefing of... I have a right foot. Here's everything, and <laughs> you think, I got this, I got it. And yeah. you're, it, it's that over-enthusiasm that happens to journalists, too. It happens to all of us, for sure, and absolutely. Yeah, you just go a little too crazy without getting used to the car and spending time. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. you and I are consistently better when we're... You know, spending a lot of time with a car, even though it's fun to just do quick impressions as yeah, soon as yeah, we yeah. jump into a car. Yeah, true. The things reveal themselves the harder and faster and more that we drive it. Yeah, Things absolutely. reveal themselves absolutely. and we think, you know what? Okay, so some highway cruising time or, mm -hmm. you know, extended canyon time. You know what? It's great in really tight stuff and the GT kind of thing it doesn't sure. do real well yeah. with or whatever. You well, know, we I spend more about, time is, is a better way to go. Uh, for sure, when we have that opportunity. I mean, I think about the fact that you and I have kind of conditioned ourselves to have to be fast. We have to get to our impressions right. quickly because right. what happens – now, when we do a fast blast, we're with a car maybe two hours. And that is, right. honestly, for my personal preference, it's a little too fast. But we can do it. But we normally have a car for a couple of days. 
What I find right, ironic right. is that most automotive journalists, even if they're just writing an article, they may write 600 words on a car, but they had it for a week. I, I what could write. What you doing? Exactly. I can write six hundred <laughs> words each day at lunch if I have no a car for kidding. a week. How many words is that total? Somebody do math. But so there's that, and then you know we laugh. We we laugh with Tom a lot because Tom, the European press loans are typically two weeks. Yeah. So he gets a yeah. car dropped on him for two weeks, and then he comes at me from an editorial perspective and is like, "Why do I have three hours of interview?" Interview, and I'm like, "Well, because you had a GoPro in the car every time you drove the car, and you drove it for hours every day <laughs> to make a seven minute exactly." Film or so he ends up film. with piles and piles of commentary. Yeah. But we've yeah. had to kind of condition ourselves to be fairly fast. But I agree with you. When we have the car for a couple of days, we try to spend day one not putting any impressions out, just driving the car, feeling the car, enjoying the car, getting up to speed. Right, right. And then it's about impressions on the second day. But sometimes you don't have that, that opportunity. And clearly, Richard right. hopped in this car and, and goes to do a hill climb. Now, maybe he'd driven it a lot first. I right. don't know. We don't know how much time but he had with the car. We honestly Welcome don't. to a, you know incredibly powerful car on a hill climb, and you don't know it that well. And But, but he, even if he'd known it, great. Stuff just sometimes goes wrong. Yeah. And the road, you don't know the road. You yeah. Know, yeah. yeah. You, you just never know. I'm really curious to see how they deal with this for the show. You mean what happens what, in the what, what edit? What piece do and they make? The final. What piece film? do they make? Yeah. Because if you think about, yeah. I mean, thankfully this is this is a blip on the radar compared to Richard's other crash. Okay. Yes, that was. It, it's not life threatening. I mean, that was it's horrible. He's clearly having to have something done to his knee, but it's his knee. It's it's otherwise he's just Richard. Okay. Right. But right. the thing is, the if you watch uh, that beginning of season nine, and that was the start of the the just stratospheric rise of the show in in general popularity. Right, because right. I hate to say it, but they talk about it candidly. One of their hosts almost died, and so everybody in the planet went, "I should be watching this show." Which <laughs> it's a terrible thing to say, but it is exactly what happened to that, their ratings. That actually, um, <laughs> you know what we should do for ratings. But what they did hey, in that piece, if you haven't seen it, what they did in that piece is they actually kind of sat there in a news style segment and talked about it almost as a news segment and ran the footage as necessary and talked about it almost like a documentary news style thing. Mm -hmm. This, right, right. because of the nature of it, stands to possibly be a more normal piece with a twist ending. But of course, everybody's going to know what the ending is. Gonna be, I'm just very curious to see just how to are they going to deal with this? You know, just from a production sure. and post-production sure. and show, show period, they're clearly going to cover it. I mean, Clarkson tweeted about it. Richards tweeted about it. It's out there. They know they're going to have to integrate it or going to integrate it in some way into the show. How is that? That'll be intriguing. Agreed. Well, speaking of powerful cars, another one that we just found out about, and you're probably reading too, mm -hmm. is about the new Porsche 911 GT2 RS that has just dropped at the E3 show in Los Angeles and, again, claimed to be the most powerful 911 ever. ever. Yay! But the Porsche G has a new the model. G uh, pardon me. The E3 launch is what's interesting about this. Yes, it is. There's no auto this show. Fascinating. It's because Porsche was in that exclusive thing with Electronic Arts for a long time, and you could only get mm -hmm. Porsche cars in Electronic Arts-related driving simulation games. Right. So right. the Gran Turismo series didn't have it. Forza was fighting for it. It was this problem. And that's why all those games, if you think about it, they all had uh, the roofs. The roof Porsches. That was as close that's, as they yeah, could get to the 911 or not the normal that Porsches. But, but that was the, way, the only way but those games got them. not OEM cars. And it's only been in the yeah. last couple of years that that uh, Electronic Arts thing has timed out, and so Porsche is, is all in on a lot of these games. But so far... That now we're launching a car at E3, the electronic, uh, the electronic show, launching it as part of Forza. That's that's really that shows the influence of this area. Yeah, it does. It shows some savvy on the part of Porsche's marketing department, which I'm actually glad about. Mm -hmm. So here it is. We're talking about the 2018 GT2 RS, apparently 640 horsepower. 
rear wheel drive only out of a flat six rear wheel drive. They've called prior generations, the widow maker. Yeah. Wow. And I'm hoping what we're just talking about with journalists getting Mm -hmm. into this car when it's available, not doing anything dumb because what's the turbo. Wow. It's like, it's, it's the high five hundreds, right? Five fifty, five sixty off the yeah. top of my head. Yeah, yeah. Like so that. you know that's it's plenty powerful, there. but that's all wheel drive. It's trying drive. to keep yeah. you the right way around. This is rear wheel drive, so you <laughs> better know rear engine. You better know what you're doing. You Giant know? wing. I mean, I'm all about it, as I'm sure everybody else is. I'm curious that it is released in conjunction with Forza Seven. Yeah, maybe it's sort of drive it in the video game first, just to get used to it. <laughs> then we'll see how you but do. You, but you know, Porsche is about to be besieged by their their order books are about to be filled by people that want this car that probably have mm-hmm. no business even climbing into it, no. let alone turning a key no. and trying to drive it. I mean, this you, you talk about the Widowmaker moniker. This this has all the pieces of that for sure. It does, and it ties into a, a conversation and questions that you guys asked us last podcast about speculators, specifically mm. for Porsche cars. Sure, yeah, yeah. And what is Porsche doing to mitigate the, hey, we're just going to sit on this. We talked about the GT3 and the manual transmission on yeah. that car, kind of, kind of a stick in the eye to the 911R <laughs> owners as a, you know what? No, you don't have the last of the breed. We sure. brought the manual back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, this car is probably only going to have the PDK, which is fine. It's probably apt for this car, and it's mm-hmm. only going to make it even quicker. But... I'm just wondering about speculators on this car yeah, because the you. order books are probably done at this point. Yeah. Who knows? It's, yeah. It's but, pretty much blink and it'll be filled up. You know, up. that's, yeah. that's why Porsche is saying the only way you're going to get to drive this car is in Forza 7. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's Welcome, the cover everyone. car for Forza and it'll be really interesting to see as this actually gets out beyond just the video game world. People start reviewing it. I'm very <laughs> curious. What is this? Like the 30th version of the current 911? It's got to be up there. Something like that. Yeah. Cause there weren't enough. I mean, we're seeing this very early before it's even on Porsche's website, but I can't re- wait to read all about it. And, um, Drool completely, yes. I will be uh, all about it. Well, we've got some great car debates here, Andrew and Avi, and we'll get to these now. Andrew is a doctor of osteopathy in Traverse City, Michigan. Guy Mm -hmm. I used to work with was born and raised in Traverse City, and he kept talking about how awesome it was and beautiful, and I've never been up there. Everybody I know that's lived in Michigan goes on and on about Traverse City. Yeah, I've I've never been there, and uh, maybe it's time to to take a trip, but... uh, He's a 30-year-old, newly graduated physician with three kids, moved up there from Detroit about a year ago with his wife. And at the time, he had a 2015 GTI SE manual lease, and his wife was driving a 2012 BMW X3. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they had their third child in Traverse City and bought the minivan. So they went to, you know, full-on minivan, which we understand. Not surprising, yeah. But Andrew's lease for his car is coming up at the end of the month. It yep. looks end of like this here. month, yeah. And uh, he's We're actually just, timely. Look at that. Well, <laughs> hey, you know, we try. Every once in a while, we get it bang mm-hmm. on. So he, he's just having trouble imagining driving this year-round, and it does seem like there's quite a bit of weather and snow up there in the, yeah. in the winter months. Well, he's been driving that. They kept that X3. That's been the winter car, and the GTI has been the quasi-fun car. Right. But since the GTI lease is up, it's, oh, wait, I can get a new fun car because the X3 could stay or he could sell it and get rid of the GTI and get him to try to get himself a new all-arounder that is the dad car, all-weather car, can handle three kids. So we can go a couple of ways with this. Sure. He's offering us some options here. The biggest one that sticks out is that he needs a manual. He cares about this above everything else. And I'm noting a trend here about all the car debates lately 
everybody wants a manual transmission. And I know that we as enthusiasts and all of you listening are a tiny slice of the market, but it just seems like, come on, car companies, don't let it completely die. Offer at least yeah. one of your fun cars with the option. Too sure. many times it's always sure. the 1.3 liter four-cylinder barely makes <laughs> it's any the power. It's the base of the with, base, yeah. Come on, give us something here. But we all want manuals. I, I get it. <laughs> I'm glad to see it. I'm glad to see that so many yeah. of us really do want them. But yeah, it, it's but it's it's pure numbers, you know. If you can't sell, mm -hmm. I mean, that was the whole thing about Ferrari. As much as we can decry the fact that Ferrari left manuals, they were talking about the fact when they quit making them, less than two percent of the orders of their cars were requesting the manual. Less than two percent, and it's because of the age, generally speaking, and the amount of money that those buyers have. You know, an older generation and somewhat, but it's also just they know the speed and quickness. I mean, what you want is the bragging rights. More than you want purity. I hate to say it, but if you're going to do the dual clutch yeah. fast gearbox, that's much better bragging rights. And, you know, I also say this. A lot of times you're right. The people that are buying those cars might not want. What's the most pure driving experience? You go buy a Caterham. You buy a BAC Mono, right, which they right. buy as their 50th car, but they don't buy it as their first fun car, you know. So, uh, but yeah, the, it cars. is interesting, those of us that hang out and want the manuals, but we're such a small percentage that that market's going to keep dying. I hate to say it. Well, so the options here that I mentioned, Andrew's got a couple of options for us that he says here. I think they're keeping the minivan. That's what I'm reading in here. Well, that stays either way. That's, that's the wife's. That's the family car for sure. Right, right. Okay, so option one is keep that X3 for the winter and get purely a fun car because Andrew can use the X3 if he needs to drive the kids around and have this other fun car as his event car. So it would be less than 15000 budget for that or a lease for about 300 a month. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Cheap to maintain. He'd put fewer miles on that, obviously, because he's yeah. driving the X3 in the winter. Yeah, yeah. Gives us a list of things for that. And option two here is sell the X3. Yeah, yeah. Kind of wondering. I actually didn't do any used car prices on that. I'm not sure how much you could get for that, Andrew. But replace this with a year-round fun car. So essentially going from three mm -hmm. down to just two and yeah. having this car that really ups the budget at this point to about thirty-five dollars or $40,000. Yeah, definitely. Now he's in a different class of car across the board. It has to do more. It has to cover yep. more needs for yep. sure. Yep. So he's driven a lot of stuff already, looks like. Andrew, good on you. So Golf R, Alltrack, Subaru WRX, Crosstrek, Mazda 3, good. We mm -hmm. recommend that a lot. You've given us pros and cons for each of these cars, including a 2008 XI manual. Interesting. You've driven the 2014 BMW 228i. Which we love. If you've listened for five minutes, we've recommended <laughs> that car to someone. Uh, what else? Mini Cooper, Focus ST, and a weird random twist here, a Wrangler Unlimited Willys manual, which is his brother's. Because <laughs> it was there and he had the keys and he got to drive it. That's kind of what I read into that. It's I like, gotta think you know what? Time. I haven't driven your, your crazy Jeep yet. Let me drive that real quick. Yeah. <laughs> so the bottom line here is he wants us to convince him to go back to rear-wheel drive despite his northern Michigan fears. But but here's the thing. I, I think that's easy, Andrew. I do, genuinely. Look, I, I'm the guy, obviously, I drove rear-wheel drive all winter. And so, you know, I, winter tires, fine. But that's not even your issue here. I, I, I feel like the only answer here is to keep that X3. You've already been in a situation where you've had three cars. You know what that's like. So your life is positioned in such a way you can have three cars. I don't know if that X3 lives outside or what the story is, but mm -hmm. that was already last year for your GTI. That was already the the winter car. 
So if you've sure, got it, keep sure. it. I say keep that X3 because then it becomes like we talk about sometimes. It becomes the right tool for the job. You've talked about if you keep the X3, the fun car, it's a $15,000 budget, but it can be an event car. This yeah. is my answer for you. Keep the X3 because I think, I think you're going to wind up compromised for what you really want as a driver if you don't keep the X3. You're going to wind up in a car you just don't love as much. Since the X3 does that duty fine, your wife has the minivan, that's great. You have all of those utility boxes checked. Mm-hmm. Let's take mm-hmm. that fifteen grand and get you a car that every time you get to go, I get to go drive that today. That's just, it's going to true, be just true. fun. And I have a, a personal favorite. I almost want to go sniper shot, but I'm going to give you some alternatives. But I have a personal favorite on mm-hmm. this that I think gets it done, reliable, price, event, finished. Andrew, I initially thought about option two that you gave us, and that is getting rid of the X3 and going for a single car year-round that can do it all. I really started digging into this, looked at your list here, thinking about the WRX, because you could even get the STI from 2010. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go back a generation and do that as your fun car. I think, okay. I get your comment in here about, you know, loud, cheap interior, all that stuff that we talk about with Subarus. We love them, but... Yeah, just those drawbacks. And I went down the road of, huh, Audi S3. But the big problem is I found a 2015 Audi S3 in South Burlington, Vermont, as a matter of fact, red, 23,000 miles, $29,500. That's a lot less than I thought those cars were going for. Hmm. The big Hmm. problem here is they were never offered with the manual transmission. True, true. You had to go to the Golf R to get that bonus. So I, if the Audi S3 were manual transmission, we'd recommend that car more often than not. I betcha. Well, but my big thing is I feel like that the S3 is too close to the Golf R. I prefer the usability of the Golf R and the fact that if you want, you can get it in manual. That's why it, it, it loses for me. The S3 is a fun car. It's the same chassis. It's, it's so sure. similar. Sure. And it's actually better looking. I feel like than the Golf R. I, I, the Golf oh, R. Oh, the S3 is better looking. S3, I think the S3 is better oh, yeah, looking yeah, than yeah, the Golf yeah, R. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. But the Golf, if I had the option of those two, I think the Golf R is the better choice. But the right. S3, yeah, if it were manual, no, they're cool. But I mean, anyway. that'd be the you want the next version of a WRX? Go get yourself a manual Audi S3. To some degree, yeah. Unfortunately, it's not offered in that configuration. I looked and looked; it just isn't. So I went down the road of a Mark VI Golf R for you, the prior gen. Golf oh, interesting. R. Okay. Because of your fears that they're currently new, they're pretty expensive, I get it, and you've already had a GTI. And I've I've also wanted BMW to give us an all-wheel drive, two Mm. series, with a manual transmission, and they won't. Hmm. That's what I'm talking about. I just, (laughs) that's the sweet spot for so many people. You can't spec it that way? You can't. The rear-wheel drive, manual transmission. Sure. When you go to all-wheel drive, well, it changes the transmission configuration, and there probably the, just physically wasn't space in there. Mm, interesting. Probably the reason. And so it's just the uh, the automatic only. Mm. Well, I mean, we like that automatic, but it doesn't solve yeah. the manual problem. I get that. So therefore, that leaves me with option one, and I'm thinking keep the X3, like Todd's saying. And because you've got this BMW thing going on, you've missed your 328i from 07. I'm going after the 128i or 135i. Really? Okay. That's where I landed. Right. Because I I know that makes you almost an all-BMW family at that point. I just realized that. But I just feel like you're looking for something nicer than just simply, uh, you know, if I said Fiesta ST, just get that, and you'd get bored after nine minutes, you know, just with the interior the way it sure, is. Yeah. And you'd love it, but 
then you'd think, guys, I just, I want a better car. <laughs> and so I'm thinking if you can swing the 15, I'll bet you you can do 128i. I'm not sure about the 135, though. Those are still, with lower miles, those are still 20-ish, 25? Probably around 20-ish, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 22, maybe, somewhere in there. You could probably find, you could probably find a deal on the on Maybe. Back. 15 to 20, I think you could really play. Sure. Maybe, but I just I came back to BMW and just thinking, okay, if you got a 128i and you could maybe do some things to it, all right. Okay. But for that price, and it's not the year-round car, mm-hmm. meaning you don't have to buy winter tires for it, you so you're saving some bucks, you, you might necessarily not have to get it uh, paint film protection. Being in Utah, we recommend that highly. Oh, yeah, we do, yeah. But uh, you might not have to do that. So it could be just the, hey, 5,000, 6,000 miles a year car, mm-hmm. you know, enjoy it, and then come springtime, beat on it and enjoy it. That's kind of where I'm at. But otherwise, okay. I, I wish, like I said, these car manufacturers would give us all-wheel drive cars like Subaru does. They're sure. almost a unicorn in the market, if you realize. Yeah, the all-wheel drive with the, with the manual, that's a, that is a rarity. You're what right. other cars yeah. out there? Fair Evo's point. gone, despite the fact that our listeners have found... Brand new ones. Brand Since new we've ones talked about the fact you can lots. find brand new 2015 sitting on dealer lots, a few of you have sent us <laughs> links to the one locally next to you that is the brand new Evo available down the block from you with a 2015 Sheesh. year on it, which is insane. Uh, I, I do still think that would be a hysterical conversation to have with your local car dealer. Hi, I'd like your brand new 2015, please. While you're, st- <laughs> but please ask that question if you can, standing right below wherever they keep the calendar there at the dealer. <laughs> so it says 2017 above your head. I'm just visualizing this. The filmmaker in me's got it all visualized. So it's 2017 above your head, and you said, "Hi, I'm here for the brand new 2015." Anyway, so here's where I went on this. I think keeping the X3 for winter frees you up. So much, Andrew, to just does. to do what yeah. you want, which is get your fun car. What really struck me here in reading all of this is that you're wanting something that is a little bit of, a, of an event. If you're going to keep the X3, what's your event car? But it's an event car with $15,000 to spend. So, you know, when I think event cars, I want to go to the stuff that feels exotic. But sure. at fifteen grand, that's hard. Sure. Okay? But then I was struck by this. I, I'm not going to completely sniper shot because I want to give options. But I think the answer for you, Andrew, honestly, is an S2000. I think so. Because fifteen man, grand gets you a of, lot of nice S2000. One of the best, one of the best six speeds ever, and yeah. that is a car that feels unique. It, the the styling is timeless. Now it's not the most beautiful car ever, but it's just timeless. That styling just works still, just like it did the day it was introduced. Yeah. So yeah. timeless styling. Nice interior. Obviously, it's not a brand new latest tech interior, but it's a nice interior. It's a well thought about interior. Good seats. Every time I drive one of those cars, it feels special. Yeah. Edgar in yeah. LA, our shooter, has got one right now, and I just I like being in it. I mean, it's the pas- cool passenger side is, is still a cool place, but yeah. the driver's side is awesome. That is a genuine event car. It is. Uh, I've talked about it before in our uh, in our FRS uh, RX8 S2000 piece. I talked about the fact that in many ways, the S2000 is the half price Elise. It has yeah, that kind of. But that. It, it's a nicer place to be. But it has that kind of <laughs> dedicated car. Twice its price. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it has a dedica- dedicated car feel and a wonderful driver's car feel. Fifteen grand. I mean, look, you could say Miata. But the Miata is not as unique. It doesn't feel to me like an event. It's a fantastic car to that. drive, but it's not yeah. the event of the S2000. The S2000 is a is a moment in time car. It will be reliable. You could get a hundred thousand mile S2000 and go, okay, let's just buy, buy that car and drive it. And it's gonna run. Yes, it's gonna be fine. Reliable, fun. It will feel like an event when you get to drive it. And because yeah. that car doesn't have to do anything but be a fun event car, 
perfect. The two-seat convertible, great. Take your wife out in that. I love it. Get the babysitter that can handle all three kids and have a night out. So that's my, without question, that is my first choice for you. You could also get yourself a used Boxster. You could also get yourself a used 86, either the FRS or the BRZ. Yep. Yep. The FRS BRZ would be fun to drive, but I don't think it's going to have an event like the S2000. Sure, sure. The Boxster. You'd look forward to it, but oh, not, you would love driving. Not you would love driving it, but yeah. it, it, because it is what it is, because they're still being produced, because they have a perception as oh that car's slow, it's not going to feel like whoa you have one of those quite as much as the S2000 is. I think the S2000 is going to feel a bit more special, so that's why that wins. But on and the Boxster is just going to cost more to own. So that's why it's not it up there with the S2000 it for me. It's a little scary but it's at a, that price range but and mileage. But, but it's a great car. Yeah, it is. So it those is. are good alternatives. But I, I have to say, Andrew, I think the answer, keep the X3, get an S2000, let us know when you get one because it'll be awesome. And that kind of solves your got the rear-wheel drive, don't have to get the winter tires for a rear-wheel drive car and deal with all that stuff. And, yeah, you know, your insurance is going to go up, but you've got, you know – but I bet you it's cheaper to insure that car than it has been yeah, for his GTI. I, you know, honestly. I, I'm that's what I'm thinking too. I, I bet you it, it is, and um, I doubt it would be that much more. Especially if you tell your insurance agent it's only driven during these months. Absolutely. Or you only insure it for those months. Sure. If it's I, stored I, in the winter, it, or it you just need on your, uh, comprehensive only. Depends on your state as to if you can put mileage limits on cars and what that mileage limit is. I mean, there's a lot of ways to, to, to yeah. slice it. But that car is never going to be newer than, what, an 09? So it's just going to be cheap to insure right. for that reason. Right. All right. Well, thank you, Andrew. We've got uh, a lot more to, to comment on that, but uh, we'll leave it there for now. Before the next car debate, I want to talk about Covercraft. Covercraft.com, they have everything. If you're protecting your car, you want to be certified Paul-owned. <laughs> you can park your car outside with a full car cover. Right. If you park your car for the day, I, I now am addicted to the sunshade. You can get sunshades there. Yeah. If you have a dog or kids like I do, you can actually defend against that. They have a whole canine section. So whatever you want to do to defend your car, Covercraft.com. If you use the code DEBATE, free shipping in the continental U.S. We've got Avi who is moving to California from Texas right about now, as a matter mm-hmm, of fact, mm-hmm. as we're uh, recording this. He's got three cars as well, 2012 Camry, a 2017 Audi A4, and a 2014 Acura MDX. So he's got three cars there, and he's thinking about getting rid of the Camry. All right, so he could sell it in texas and Mm -hmm. buy something else when he gets to california he could do the opposite he could drive it out to california and then sell it there there's a few different options here he's got a four mile commute okay but he also needs this new car this replacement car to be able to do about 150 200 miles round trip once a week so he doesn't necessarily want an electric car although you could Mm -hmm. a plug-in would be fine he says but they seem so boring all right, so Avi's got two kids, needs to be able to take them in the car. And really, the, the whole point is not that there's anything wrong with the Camry. It's just boring. It's just bland. It's been reliable. It's done everything it's supposed to do. It's Let's be honest. It's been a Camry. <laughs> it's got stuff. It's, it's space. It's bulletproof. Its, it's blah. It's But it's it's just there it is. It's, it doesn't have any kind of personality to go with it. And he's thinking about replacing that with something that hopefully has a little bit of personality, but it has to do the kid duty. By the mm-hmm. way, you're moving to the place where the good roads are. Yes, That's the other are. good thing. I mean, yes, Texas are. is fun for on-ramps and off-ramps and big freeway <laughs> blasts, but when you want to find a really good windy road, it takes some looking. California, <laughs> it's lights. where do you want to go? Yeah. 
got the street light thing handled apparently. So, um, all right. Well, uh, we've got a budget of about thirteen to fifteen thousand dollars to work with. Mm-hmm. All right. And the last comment here is interesting. He doesn't like the MDX because of the issues with the radio. I had no idea, and I looked this up. Apparently, radios and a lot of these MDXs just quit working. Hmm. Things work. You know, the instrument panel lights up, but sound is nowhere to be found. So that's interesting. I'm, I'm hoping that's... It's weird when cars just have those gremlins, isn't it? Yeah. Just like certain cars, certain models just have this goes wrong. And you'd think, you know, it's a Honda. It's an Accurate. It should be fine. Bulletproof. Well, every car manufacturer has their something. So... We know this. Porsche doesn't make very good horns. Can I just say that? Their horns are terrible. Well, and they had that little IMS thing, too. But yeah. Oh, and that little IMS thing. You're right. That little chestnut. All right. So the biggest thing is here, he doesn't want some fun car that's going to shout, as in be pretty flashy, something that looks a little bit more restrained, but is the opposite, sort of like wearing red silk underwear underneath your tuxedo. It's the gen. He wants it to be genuinely fun dynamically, have a little bit of personality. Yeah. But yet it has to be, it's more like the sleeper, but dynamical, dynamic sleeper. If, dynamical. If you dynamical. Like you like that? that? I don't know what happened That's there. a t-shirt. Yeah, exactly. That is this podcast t-shirt, dynamical. Dynamical, followed by, huh? I don't anyway, know what that means, but. Uh, but I, it has to be more dynamic than the Camry, which is not, which is a low bar, but it can't look like some big flashy dynamic sports car. Right. So that's right. where we are. I actually have three on this. Do you really? And, and a couple of them I haven't talked about in a while. Okay. I'm curious. I went with, uh, as a matter of fact, a review that Todd and I did with these two cars in particular because of their size and price. It's the Fiesta ST and the Fiat 500 Abarth. Hmm. At thirteen to $16,000, I have been waving the flag for $12,000, $13,000 Fiesta STs. You've got options now for those cars. And at that price, sixteen grand, you could find probably yeah. under 40,000 mile used car for that price, I betcha. Mm-hmm. And man, talk about fun. And because you do already have the nice car, you've got the Audi A4, brand sure, new. Sure, yeah. So I'm not looking for this car to... I guess I, I'm throwing aside the the interior's got to be nice and it's got to nice be a nice place to be. Okay, it okay. doesn't have to fit that thing in your life. It doesn't have to check that box, obviously. So mm-hmm. that's why I'm giving the Fiesta ST a hall pass for you. Okay, to be able to own this car and just be like, this is my fun throw around car. I'm just gonna go have a ball with. But this. you can still take the kids, and if you get a yeah. thing, I do like about that. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Believe it or not, I did not go Fiesta ST on my end. You of the didn't. Table. I didn't. But the thing I like about that, now that you're talking about it, I think the Fiesta ST beats the Abarth here because the problem with the Abarth is its shouty exhaust. It is. Which in general I love because I'm a child. But Avi doesn't want to draw attention to himself. That car has racing stripes and a loud exhaust. The Fiesta, you get it in gray, black, silver. Only enthusiasts know what that car is. So right. you can't get it in any of the Todd-approved colors, okay? The, 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 all the Skittles <laughs> colors are out for you. Right. But you get it in right. the silvers and that kind of stuff. Only enthusiasts know what it is. Otherwise, it's a little hatchback. Nobody cares. But go find yourself a back road and have a blast. I like it for that reason. That's pretty cool. I, I'm, a, I'm with you. The Abart, though, has this hidden personality. It does shout a little bit. Mm-hmm. You could say it's yeah. either got loud stripes or loud exhaust and uh, racing stripes or <laughs> racing yeah. exhaust. Yeah. Either one. But yeah, that thing is just so intriguing to go drive and you're giggling every time you take a corner. So that's why I put it out there. And for the price, you could find nearly new, I'll bet you. Yeah, that's good. That's very good for the price. So I'm going with those two cars just because it's got to be something totally different than the SUV that you've got and the A4, the sedan that's 
great, good. comfortable, good. can do so much. But this is the, hey, I just have this for giggles. That's yeah. it. But it still has to do the, the family stuff. Just I see that. that. That does work. That does yeah. work. I actually stayed really close. And, and, and I, I do find it odd that we have an A4 and a Camry both occupying this situation. But I just, I just really kind of. I mean, they're kind of the same car in many ways from both manufacturers. In many ways, yes. But I just decided, all right, I'm going to stay within the fences of how do I replace a Camry? So I stayed really close to that. <laughs> okay. I okay. Mean, meaning, meaning. Okay. Funny, so mid-size sedan can't be that hard. Mid-size sedan, sleeper looks, surprisingly good dynamically. Okay. For this kind of budget, this is where I, this is where my brain went. Okay. And I came up with three. Get yourself a Honda Accord. Well, Put some good tires on it. Yeah. Accords, generally speaking, have they, better dynamics than Camrys. Absolutely. Absolutely. You could even go out and get yourself a manual. I don't know that you want a manual, but you could. So you can actually – the thing about the Accord is it is like the ultimate sleeper sedan in this segment because you can buy them and they can feel exactly like what they're intended to be, which is the Honda ver equivalent to the Camry. Or you can put better tires on them. You can get the manual transmission version. And all of a sudden, you, we have know that guy locally that put sway bars on his mm. and good tires and turned it into a canyon runner. Sasha, yes. Okay? He's also a little bit just kind of without fear, which helps. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. You can actually turn that car with only a couple little things like that into a genuinely fun dynamic car. I don't know if you're going to do that, Avi, but my point is it is that close to being a really surprising dynamic car, which means in any, any form you find it. It's just like, this is a fun car to drive. It's a good car to drive. Sure, sure. So I think it's better than the Camry in that regard. So I want to say Honda Accord. But two others. You could buy the early, mid-2000s Acura TL. Oh. The 0308 TL Acura. Okay? okay. That is one of the best, honestly, front-wheel drive dynamic sedans ever. It's just really genuinely oh, yeah. fun to drive. It looks great. It's got some yeah, timeless yeah. looks. With this kind of budget, you could find options of nice ones of that car. The people I've known that have, that have owned them love them. They just ran. They're great, reliable. They're still good looking now, good dynamically. But yet on the other end of the spectrum, if you don't know what it is, it's just an Acura from 10 years ago. It's just whatever. But yet sure. you go hoon. I've hooned canyons in that car. It is genuinely <laughs> fun. So Acura TL 03 to 08. And my last one. I don't know the last time I've talked about this car. Okay. Taurus SHO. Really? You can find 2011s, 2012, 13s. So you're talking just up into the, the latest generation. Yes, the latest not gen. Not back from the 90s. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about the old. No, I'm talking about the ones okay. that, that look like they could be undercover cop cars. Right. Okay. Right. And practically are. Yeah, exactly. But, but come on. This is available for your price. It's genuinely powerful. Are they really 16 or under? You can find them. There's not, it's not like, hey, there's lots of options, but they're out there. Absolutely. I went and found, found some for sure. Wow. So look at the Taurus SHO because it's just – what is it? It's just a Taurus, but it's much more than that. All-wheel drive, good amount of power. That's a car that is the definition of sleeper in many, many, many ways. <laughs> yeah, so those are my three, the Accord, the older TL, and the Taurus SHO. Right on. Well, Avi, thank you so much. Thank you both for writing in. I hope this helps. And uh, if you've got your own debate, write to us, EverydayDriverTV at Gmail, and on the website, too. Don't forget uh, to find us on the website. We will transition, though, audience comments here and questions on all three of the social media. Guys, thank you so much for writing some great questions. I will make one caveat off of your comment there about if you have a car debate, write to us, which I completely agree with. You absolutely should. Yeah. I, I know this is us being being picky, but... 
generally when we're asking for audience questions, we're not asking for your car debates on social media. Oh, yes. Good point. We, we are. I'll good be point. really honest. We don't look at those. When people bring them up on social media, we're trying to do the kind of quicker, get us off the car debates discussion here. So if you have a car debate, please, please send it in. Just help us. Think about it as funnels. The funnel for car debates is either the, the uh, email, like Paul said, Everyday Driver TV at Gmail or through the website. And then we try to keep the social media questions away from that just to kind of allow our brains to separate the two. Yes. So we yes. are into questions now. We've got some cool ones. Uh, thank you guys for writing in on them. Where do you want to start? I've got Scott D's question about the long-term prospects for all these electric car startups that you know I love talking about this. One of your favorite topics. I'm going to settle in. This will be a while, yeah. <laughs> so Scott asks, can this pod society, I know what you're talking about, Scott, can it support all these major car manufacturers and the startups? And he's talking about, you know, are we going to autonomous pods? You've heard mm -hmm. me rant and rant about these. Does car styling matter when we go to pods? Mm-hmm. So he's talking about Tesla and Fisker and Faraday and Neo and on and Lucid on and on. And on, Lucid. It, on it goes, yep. yeah. So you bring up Tucker from back in the late 40s, mm -hmm. early 50s. Mm -hmm. Are they going to go bankrupt like these guys? Will they be acquired? It's uh, <laughs> it's so different because obviously you know we're not talking of the same powertrain. And with the advent of autonomy, it's changed the game. It's mm -hmm. completely different. I feel like... There's so many of these car companies that the way they approach it is like app developers and game developers. And you and I have talked about this. You yeah. actually noted on our first Tesla Model S review that this was a car built by people who design software, yeah. not manufacturing people that yeah. you know, stamp metal and weld things and actually do manufacturing. You still have to, but this mindset has mm -hmm. changed everything. Mm -hmm. They could easily get sucked up and you know changed and all that stuff. They could get acquired. I think what fascinates me even more along with this is that everybody is going after autonomy Yeah, and yeah. everybody is writing their own code. As a matter of fact, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. everybody's writing their own take on what they think their autonomous cars will do, how they'll interact with other cars, pedestrians, a ball gets kicked into the street, a dog runs out, all this kind of stuff. So, <laughs> Just like there's, you know, we only have two different operating systems, really, three if sure. you count Linux. Sure, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, all these different takes on everything. There is not one standard. There has to be some, some consolidating at some point. Something will happen, although Apple has dipped their toe into the pool. And they were going to build cars initially, and then, ooh, building cars is hard. Mm -hmm. It's harder than building products, as a matter of fact, yeah. because it's a combination of a lot of different products mm -hmm. especially car interiors and then safety on top of all of it exactly yeah. it's <laughs> your iMac Pro doesn't have to you know have airbags and keep you alive in a true. crash true true yeah you mm -hmm. don't have to think about that stuff yep. so yes scott uh these some of these could get acquired some of them could merge some of them could, could fail and to be honest faraday is one of the ones that i fear the most failing mm-hmm they're mm -hmm. currently, as of this podcast, still looking for another billion dollars. Does anyone have a billion? <sighs> Who, who's the guy in the hoodie that can give us a billion? I mean... Our last hoodie, hoodie wearer is, is out the door. We're looking for a new hoodie wearer. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Like I said, I'm all for pushing the technology because, you know, as a society, that's how we move forward. And that's how, you know, things get gained and, you know, new discoveries happen mm -hmm. and all that stuff. This has happened for decades in the software and computer sure, industries sure, from sure. sun microsystems to 
SGI, Silicon Graphics, to you name it, that have gone under and we all remember fondly. But yeah. it'll happen at some point. I don't see Tesla doing much. They're going to keep growing and expanding. I hope they become profitable, actually. Well, but that's, that, that is the point. You've just struck the point that strikes me the most about all of this. And that is, look, I, we've all seen what's happened to Tesla's evaluation and all of that. And, you know, yeah, they're more valuable than Ford and GM and blah, blah. But I hate to bring up the, the obvious thing again. <laughs> you know, Ford and GM make money, right? <laughs> you know, Ford and GM sell millions of vehicles. The, yeah. the problem with all of these startups, that there will be a reckoning with all of them. Tesla all the way down. And I think, obviously, because of where they are in the market, Tesla has the best chance of surviving. But the reckoning that will come for all of them is... Can you sell enough volume to be profitable? Right, right. At some point, the bucket of money will stop flowing, and they will have to be self-supported and make their own money. All of these companies are burning cash right now. It's an ongoing yeah. cash fire for all of them. <laughs> cash fire. It is. It, it's far, far more pollutant than dynamical a Dynamical and cash fire. Yes. If Love we it. can figure out a way to have a dynamical cash fire, we will be on to something. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. They all are just burning through cash right now. And if you look at, let's go Toyota. Toyota is very successful. GM, Ford, these, these are companies that make real money. And if you look at them, it's because they sell millions of cars. And so the profit margin results in billions and billions of dollars. Yeah, yeah. Will these electric car companies be able to make that volume of cars, whatever that volume is, so because it's going to be volume that is going to allow them to make money. And that's going to be the place where I think most of them will not survive and the technology and the people will be merged into somebody larger that is selling cars in the millions, mm -hmm. and then they'll go on. Yeah. I mean, Toyota keeps messing around with hydrogen. I just want to tell them to stop doing that. Come on. Electric. Let's just go full electric. That's really what the market wants. You want an it certainly seems to be where we're heading, for sure, car. yeah. So, yeah, it, it could happen. It's going to happen. I just I worry about the working professionals, the men and women who are highly paid, highly trained, and when acquisitions happen – not all of them get to stay on. Mm. And it's just the reality. I mean, we've got a lot of disillusioned tech workers who have you know, moved <laughs> to the Bay Area and you know, no longer part of that, even though that's still the, the holy grail, apparently. That's still the dream. Yeah, I... Um... <laughs> Yeah, I, I could rant longer, but you know, you don't have to buy the building between Facebook and Google. You've heard me say that. You don't have to buy a building on Innovation Drive in... Menlo Park or Palo Alto. Next to Facebook City. You, you don't have where to Where we're all going to buy tickets fun. for Facebook City. Have you been to the roller coaster yet at Facebook City? I've heard it's <laughs> awesome. And it actually posts on your Facebook status for you when you climb on. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Currently riding the Facebook roller coaster at Facebook City. You didn't post that, but your phone did for you. Exactly. Why? You're in Facebook City. Um, Hofer Bryan commented on Instagram, and he asked this question, and I saw both of the above on my drive to the podcast tonight. Which is worse, minivans or pre-i? <laughs> and I actually have an answer. I have an answer, too. I'm okay. glad you do. I'm going to say Priuses, pre-i by far, but here's the reason yeah. why. In my, in my experience, maybe I'm, maybe I'm weird here, but in my experience, if you're driving a minivan, you drive a minivan for a purpose. You mm -hmm. drive a minivan because you need to use it. You have the kids. You have the need for the utility. And you kind of know your reality. You're not trying to be anything more than just, I need this. So if you come up behind a minivan in the fast lane, they may have kids in the back. They're going to be concerned about their passengers. Nine times out of ten, the minivan will probably move over because you may want to go faster than the minivan. But the minivan's worried about the passengers. They're in a minivan. They know they're in a minivan. They're not going to outrun anybody. Right, they're going to right. get over. The person in the Prius 
Not always, but the person in the Prius has the possibility of thinking they're making a change. They're making a statement. Mm-hmm. The person in the minivan doesn't think this way. The person <laughs> in the Prius, not all of them, but many people in Priuses believe they're making a statement. And you could have the person in the Prius yeah. going, I'm going plenty fast enough. And so the person behind me doesn't need to go any faster. A little bit of sanctimonious. Uh, that apparently is my behavior. Prius driver voice, but uh, <laughs> but so so that could happen, and and so I feel like the Prius is the one that will park themselves in the left lane, yeah. doing sixty five, yeah. and the minivan's going to get over. I'm with you, and uh, we've talked about this. It's been a while though, but if you drive a Prius and you think you're changing the world and making a difference, I will can and <laughs> debate you. I I will. Respectfully debate you, but uh, yeah, you're, you are getting fantastic gas mileage. You're getting, you're not spending as much money on gas. Let's put it that way. But the problem is that you're trying to get good gas mileage and therefore it affects your driving habits. Oh, sure. When you're pulling away from a stop sign, when you're on an on-ramp, everybody else behind you just wants to go to your point. <laughs> just go. I yell this all the time. Just go. Just <laughs> the forward is the direction you want to go. And you're so intent on saving fuel and getting good gas mileage that you're forgetting to go with the flow of traffic and merge properly. And hmm. if you're going so much slower than traffic, it's actually becoming a dangerous thing. So I say, yeah, Prius for me is is worse than the minivans. Minivans are full of people running errands and doing stuff and getting things done. Mm-hmm. And they know they're Not in a minivan. Prius drivers aren't. No, but... But you know our distaste for Prii. You've heard it before. But you don't own a minivan and are not self-aware. That's my thing. Yeah. You own a minivan and you know you own a minivan. You just, I yeah. have this for a reason. I'll get out of your way. I'm going to go do my thing. That's minivan ownership. That's fine. Yep. Yep. Agreed. All right, uh, Mike Honcho on Facebook is asking about Volkswagen, and we've touched on the diesel scam quite a bit, as a matter of fact, but really he's asking, why don't they bring back the bus? Come on, why isn't the bus coming back? Speaking of minivans, he feels that it would revive the brand in the U.S., much like the new Beetle did, and Mike, yes, as a matter of fact, the new bus has been teased in concept form for a lot of years now, as a matter of fact. They've started in one direction, they've refined it, mm-hmm, they've mm-hmm. gone electric. So there've been a lot of concepts and I would love it if they did that. I think there'd be more acceptance of minivans and I think it'd be an actually a useful vehicle Maybe. at that point. Maybe. Depends on the architecture, depends on the powertrain. Yeah. yeah. But they've teased us for so long. Uh, come on, at some point yeah. you can make the second generation just make it because it is so iconic. It is. I'd be very curious if it would have the Beetle kind of thing or if it would just fall flat because let's be honest what did volkswagen just release the atlas why because everybody is selling big suvs it's like a jeep grand cherokee and and they sold the what was what was the why can't i think of the name the touron what was the the um it was the rebadged touron you got it yeah yeah it was the rebadged volkswagen dodge minivan yeah yeah, you know? and everybody knew it. Yeah, and you're not fooling it's anybody. It's just a Dodge with a Volkswagen on yeah. the back because they didn't have their own minivan architecture. And you're right; in the history, they have this bus, which you could argue is kind of the original minivan. Mm-hmm. It is, you know, but very yeah. successful. You get the Westphalia versions; you could go anywhere on the planet in that thing. Yeah. So it'd be interesting yeah. to see. I think that'd be a, a hyper niche vehicle, though. I mean, that'd be like sports car niche kind of numbers. It probably would, but think about the possibilities with the direction of what we're talking about the ai and the pod kinds of cars that would welcome actually to my stand autonomous out. bus 
And it already looks like an autonomous vehicle. It's just that perfect pod does. shape. Let's just get, let's embrace it and go. But again, the irony that nobody is addressing is the Ubers and Lyfts of the world, and there are many, not just in the U.S. or North America. If nobody owns cars, somebody's going to have to own these cars. It will be the ride-sharing people that initially sure. tried to not own the cars. Their whole business model is to not own cars because all their drivers own the cars. Sure. And if they all go autonomous, there will be no more drivers. And now Uber's suddenly in the, the fleet cars. business. That's an interesting exactly point. I hadn't right. thought about that. Exactly. None of their drivers own cars anymore, so they have to provide them. That's Somebody's got to own twist. The cars. That's a twist I wonder if that's come up <laughs> at a board meeting because somebody needs to bring that up right now. I mean, their business model is founded on the we shouldn't own product. All the drivers that we hire <laughs> own their own We made own an cars. app. They own the cars. Oops. Yeah, it's yeah. all changing. So uh, no wonder they backed away from that. Well, I have uh, one other one I wanted to cover real quickly. I don't know if I can cover it quickly, but I'm going to try. <laughs> Army guy wrote in on Twitter. Ah, he said yes. he would love to hear our thoughts on Doug Demuro's review of the 996-911 and him claiming it's the best 911 of all time. I've watched the piece. I watched some of Doug's work. I like Doug. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is always a little awkward because you're having us critique other YouTubers. And, I, and I'll be honest, I'm not a fan of that. But I want to speak to this specifically because you've asked. You've asked a couple places. Doug, the thing that Doug does really well is he creates something provocative about every car he puts on. Here's why this car is worth $400,000. Mm -hmm. Here's why this mm -hmm. car is the worst car ever. Here's why this is the best BMW ever, which the best BMW ever, I think, is the title of three different BMWs he's driven. Okay. Because yeah. that's yeah. the thing. That gets clicks, and he gets tons of clicks, and he's far more successful in a pure YouTube model than we are. I will fully admit that. And this is why. It's, it's the, it's, I hate to say it. It's the baiting model. Sure. It's setting sure. that up and then being controversial. He talked. There's a his Model X piece was here's everything wrong with the Model X, and then he proceeded to take everything everybody complained about and showed why it actually was great. Mm -hmm. So it's a total. You know, your title is one thing and you've done the other, but it gets good clicks. And so the 996 is the unloved 911. Watch our 50 years of 911. We drove all of them back to back. Yep. Which yep. I still stand by as the best way to go. What did they change and how is it better or worse? There's some things in that 996 piece I actually fully agree with. He's talked about how he feels like the 991 has gotten too big. I will back his play there. I agree. He likes the 996 has, because, let's be honest, it's cheap. I will back his play there, too. You want to get, want to get a surprising amount of performance for your dollar, buy a 996-991. I mean, 911. Buy, buy the 996. Do it because you can get an unbelievable car for the money. But the problems that exist with that car exist. Sure, and sure. I believe it is the least of the 911s. Now, it's a fantastic – I'm going to cut it really fine here. It's a fantastic sports car for the money. Right. And it's right. hard to argue that it's anything other than a fantastic sports car. It is a great sports car for every dollar you spend. It is the least of the 911s. Okay. Mm -hmm. How much do you want the quintessential 911 experience? So I, I agree with some of his points – I think he has pushed some of the other points to be provocative, which is what works for him. Mm -hmm. No, I'm with you. I like Doug, too. I like his reviews. I do like that he's controversial and provocative to make people think about it differently. Because the points that he brings up for all of his videos are a twist on maybe how you approach a car or car ownership. Now, I will speak for you and I in the sense that when we say best... We're generally talking about the driving experience and how that makes us feel. Mm, sure. And so sure. if you pushed me, I will say I would love it if Doug drove more and pushed on less about the fine points of styling and the price and, okay, the interior and all those things matter. Mm -hmm. But when we're coming down to it, when 
us car enthusiasts debate a car and we call something the best, it's because it puts a smile on our face. Sure, sure. And that becomes by virtue of driving. Mm -hmm. And so I would say, you know what? I'd love to see him do more driving and then really talk about all these things. Because all the points he brings up, although valid, do they really matter? Does some of them really matter? Okay, sure. so it's the low price and it's fun to drive and it's the bargain and yeah, yeah. all these other things kind of might not quite carry such high importance hmm. in terms of, hmm. well, this point and this point and this point. I agree. I'm with you. I mean, he does a good job of shredding kind of the the 911 purist arguments for why the 996 is irrelevant. I think it's very relevant. If you have money in your pocket for a 996, congratulations, great car. But you and I have driven them all back to back. Yep. Over the week's time, we drove a lot of them back to back many times a day. And so as a result... This shocks me because I am not the Porsche guy. I could spend the next hour talking about the finer points of this 911 versus that 911. And remember the chassis codes. These are all things I never intended to have in my brain, and yet it is fused to my synapses because (laughs) of doing that feature. So we can definitely argue it for a while, but I don't know that that's worthwhile. Watch the movie. We'll we'll see. We'll not do the time here. Watch the 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 film. Agreed. Agreed. All right. So one more from me here. Cars and Comments have asked us. Hi, guys. Uh, asking about why we don't really recommend or review Land Rovers. Well, first of all, you have noticed that we have not gotten too deeply into SUVs, although our recent piece, and you can find this on YouTube very soon, is the GLA AMG 45, Mm -hmm. the Macan, and and my Jeep Grand Cherokee, because the CUV market segment is becoming so prevalent. We're noting that more and more. We want to get in these cars. But the SUVs, as they are, you buy them for different reasons than Todd and I talk about recommending cars for all of you guys. Yeah. It's the fun to drive thing. The SUV is in a different category. Sure, sure. So then you got Land Rovers, which generally speaking are pretty expensive. Mm. Not that that's, you know, too big of a thing, especially coming from this guy. But, you know, we don't... Um, <laughs> well, they're typically above the price points we talk about. Not yeah. always, but typically are above that price point. Right. And then you have the reliability question. That's that's the biggest thing I'm coming to is the reliability and um, I guess the perception. You know, for most people that own Range Rovers, they're one of the world's premier off-roading vehicles, and you don't see a muddy one ever. <laughs> and so I think, all right, you know, I generally speaking we're trying to find a good price mix mm-hmm. for something that's going to be reliable and long lasting and all that stuff mm-hmm. for the high end buyers of range rovers they just bought it cuz they want it sure. it's expensive sure. yeah. and it's luxurious mm-hmm. and something that breaks great fine it's probably leased yeah it's not that we don't love them because you could go back in the history and they are one of the world's as i said premier off-road vehicles yeah and they are good to drive they are fantastic agreed, to drive new, agreed. and then I always kind of brace myself because it's the used ones. Back to Doug DeMuro, it's the used ones that can absolutely eat your lunch on keeping oh them running because of all the stuff that can go wrong. And I also hate to say this, if you look at the longstanding reliability, they're always at the bottom. They're always in like the bottom mm-hmm. two places of, of yeah. number of problems. That's hard to recommend on this show. I mean, do you and I want to recommend Land Rovers knowing that that airbag suspension is going to need replacing very soon and you know this feature and that and you know because for affordability for most people if you're buying an suv there's so many others on the table that are going to be far more reliable 
I'm hoping the new Range Rovers are more reliable because the Velar It'll be interesting. is so attractive. It'll be interesting to see. It's so nice. But the prior, the LR4 even, the LR3, the Discoveries, mm-hmm. nobody likes the reliability. Yeah. I see a few of them around, but yeah. they're not a good car. I knew multiple people that had Discoveries, and all of them regretted it from a reliability perspective. I hate to say that. This is the older Gosh. one I realized, but but all of them have horror stories. When I was in L.A., I knew so many people with Discoveries, and all of them had short lives in those people's lives. I mean, I, I heard stories about the Discovery Sport from the mid-2000s sure, yeah. that became yeah, yeah. the go-to car for most wealthy women, especially in L.A. Mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. was the Discovery Sport. Everybody had one of these cars. One of the guys I know, he bought his wife this car, yeah, and they yeah. stretched. It was sixty grand. Okay. And the electric emergency brake, the the, sure, the yeah. e brake, locked up while she was traveling on the freeway. Oh my god! It just engaged while she was moving. Now it didn't do anything. Yeah. To her driving experience because she's driving a she, very powerful. She wasn't aware, and it just kept grinding car. away. So the rotor turned red with heat. It just got really hot. And then when she stopped and it cooled down, it cracked the rotor. Mm. Just stuff like that that shouldn't happen. Little electrical gremlins. And sure, sure. Just stuff. And all of this to say, we would love them to be reliable so we could recommend them. We are gun-shy cautious to do so. Yeah. It's the reliability, I think, more than the price. You and I have recommended expensive cars. Absolutely. But they're fun. You know, you can justify that. I can't justify recommending a Range Rover that I know doesn't have the reliability and just isn't there. The new cars I've got high hopes for, but... Well, but look, I'll go real personal for a minute. My wife loves them. She loves them. I'd never heard her talk about them, as a matter of fact. She's been in a few. She has a family member that's had multiple, and he has had plenty of horror stories. Gosh. And, you know, she really loves them, would love to have one. He's had Range Rovers, he's had Discoveries, and I've driven them too. They're fantastic to drive. My wife, the SUV woman, loves them. You know, truck girl from Texas loves yep. these things, thinks yep. they're great. When we bought the Cayenne, our great concern was, please be more reliable than the Range Rover. Because yeah. luckily, yeah. this is, and this I say luckily very personally, because she has a family member that's owned them and he has had so many problems, that's the reason she has never pushed to own one. Hmm. Because she has she has watched him go through them almost Gosh. as disposable vehicles. I hate to say Yikes. that because they're good to drive, and she likes it every time she borrows it. But this was our <laughs> thinking in the Cayenne. She was she actually was talking to me about okay, should we be concerned about the reliability? Is this going to be like my relative's Range Rover? And I said it's not going to be. And thankfully, it's been incredibly reliable. Yeah. But you yeah. know, how many of you listening have have wondered about? I mean, there's been comments on YouTube. When is our Cayenne going to just all go wrong? Well, that's a Cayenne. I mean, Porsche. You look at them; they're on the other end of the scale of reliability yes. for models yes. than Range Rover. That's a problem. Agreed. No, interesting question. But uh, we could go on and on about it. Clearly. Massive thanks to all of you. Wow, we're already in a, at an hour. So uh, thank you so much. By the way, guys, you're cordially invited to our pilgrimage trip. I wanted to mention this before we sign mm-hmm. off. This is happening September 2017. It's the first few days. It's over Labor Day weekend in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. And go to our website, the everydaydriver.com slash adventures tab. Find out more information, the pricing. It's all announced. If you can make it, we'd love to have you. And keep in mind, that actually does have a price change just because of the way we have to price things and schedule things. The price does go up in July, so you have early bird pricing right now. It's going to go up a little bit because it has to for us uh, in early July. So if you're thinking about it, now is the time. Massive thanks again, everybody. Looking forward to the next time. Cheers.